It's the Happy Families Podcast. It's the podcast for the time-poor parent who just wants answers now. The more you are on screens as a parent and the more your kids are on screens alone, the worse the outcomes are for their verbal fluency, for their capacity to develop language and communicate effectively. And now here's the stars of our show, my mum and dad. You're in the middle of reading a book, that sugar book based on that sugar movie, or maybe the precursor to that sugar movie, and uh, you've been making some intentional choices to reduce the amount of sugar in your life. How are you doing? I'm really struggling. (laughs) I, I actually don't use the word addiction lightly, but I am addicted to sugar. Yeah. And the impact that it's having on my capacity to, to podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really having an impact, isn't it? It's really hard. I'm missing my fruit juice in the morning. I'm really missing my fruit juice. I love See, I'm not missing anything specifically. I I'm, I'm You're miss- just missing sugar. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 wish I'm wish I can't even put my words together. I'm, I'm, I'm missing that surge of energy that comes, you know, that spike. Yeah, every 15 minutes when you have another yeah. piece of chocolate. Maybe. <laughs> Not well, that bad. we're not going to be talking too much about sugar today, but this is the doctor's desk episode, and we are talking about another kind of fix quite a bit. We're going to be talking about screens, three different studies, all screen related. The reason being is that so many parents are still struggling with screens, and frankly, can I just say this? We're making it up as we go along. I think that our first study actually highlights that really well. So let's dive into this. The first study that I want to talk about is a study that's based here, it came out of Australia. It's by a researcher by the name of Samudu Malawarachi. <laughs> what are you laughing at? You can't laugh at somebody's name. I'm not laughing at their name. I'm just laughing that you think you've even closely got it right. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Uh, this is a tricky name to, to say. It M- is very. M-A-L-L-A-W-A-R-A-C-H-C-H-I. So I'm going to say Malawarachi and Smudu, if you've heard me say this and I've got it wrong, you can tweet me and let me know. And if you give me the phonetic spelling, I will remedy it the best that I can. And a couple of other researchers as well working with Smudu. Uh, we've got Marilyn Hooley, Wendy Sutherland-Smith and Sharon Horwood. The article is, I love the name of this article. You're damned if you do. <laughs> you're damned if you don't. It's a qualitative exploration of parent motives for provision of mobile screen devices in early childhood. I kind of feel like that's the case with most parenting. <laughs> so this is a, a study out of Deakin University and it's really, to me, quite interesting looking at why parents are giving their toddlers and young children screens and the judgment and the, the cognitive dissonance. That is, I know that I'm supposed to be better than this, but I need my child to have the screen. It's, it's that, that, that gap that we're trying to bridge in terms of keeping our kids living a great life and keeping them away from screens and yet recognizing that screens are part of the architecture. They're part of the furniture. I loved reading it. It's a qualitative study, which means a whole bunch of interviews with parents who are grappling with this right now. And there were five themes that are worth unpacking really briefly to help understand why parents are giving their kids screens and what it actually means for us as a society. Well, number one is convenience. Yeah, yeah. And there's some really positive attitudes that a lot of parents have towards screens. They recognise that uh, the screen is convenient and also can provide learning experiences and connection. So there's a quote from one parent who said, we've always had grandparents that lived a decent distance away, so she wouldn't have a relationship with them if she couldn't FaceTime. And I hear that and I think, yeah, we've... we. We would nod our heads to that and say 100%. Yeah, well, we've obviously done this move at the beginning of the year and our eight-year-old has been able to keep in contact with two of her closest friends. Yes. 
via FaceTime. Yeah. And it, it it's so nice to recognise and see that those relationships can continue because they've got that visual. Once upon a time, you moved house and that was it. I mean, yeah. you might have a pen pal, but let's be honest, most of us never had the discipline to do that or our parents just kept forgetting to buy the stamp to post the letter. And so there's, there's that aspect. And I love how you've drawn in. It's not just about grandparents and relatives. It's friends. Uh, some other parents said around the, the positivity of the learning and the connection, uh, one parent, a mother of a two-year-old, with four kids said this, I think we're better off for having them. He's not that interested in writing or drawing. Using an app gives him that opportunity to be interactive with his learning, and that's a real positive. Now, there are questions about the educational value and content of a lot of apps, and and they've justified their important questions. Nevertheless, if you've got your child being productive on an app and doing something that is at least almost seemingly potentially educational, that's way better than having them stare passively at a television, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and, and so there's these positive attitudes. Um, another mum said, but like learning to use iPads in kindy, if a one-year-old can learn to use it in a couple of days, I don't think a seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old is going to have any trouble with it. If my nearly 90-year-old grandma can figure out how to use an iPad, I don't know why you need to learn how to do it in kindy. Just this um, this idea that using a device at an early age isn't particularly advantageous. So they're saying, yeah, there are positives, but but we don't need to make a big deal about it. But but there's just a general positive attitude. We're playing together. We're interacting at all times of the day. Sometimes it's useful. It's good for connection. It's good for learning. Those kinds of ideas were there. The second theme, though, highlights where this dissonance comes in. Parents are really concerned about devices supplanting real social interactions and opportunities for family bonding. So a, a mother of a four-year-old, said the worst bit is when you hand them your phone and then you're like, well, now I've got nothing to do either. Not that that's really happened with us very often. There's usually something else to do. But every now and again, you're like, okay, well, we were here to do this thing together and now you've got a device. So there's that, uh, the the implications of look out the window, said a, a dad, a dad to a five-year-old, look out the window. There's all these other activities, colouring in, books. That's what we use for stimulation. And we play games in the car like I Spy. So let's try to stay off the screens. Let's use our imaginations. There's a whole lot of negative connotations around it. And the idea that screens are displacing life, that was a second big theme. Like I said, that's where the dissonance really comes in. There's all these positives, but there's all these drawbacks. So number three is a really good one, I think, because I have experienced it so many times, this, this idea of influence of society uh-huh. and you talk about damned if you do, damned if you don't. I, I think about all of the times where I've taken small children into places that really, you know, the doctor's surgery, for instance. Sure, or a restaurant. Or a restaurant, yeah, for sure. Or, you know, there's places where you kind of, it's quiet. People people are there for specific reasons and you're taking a child that doesn't want to be there. Mm. They want to be moving. They want to be, and and so. So the child doesn't want to be there and the people don't want the child there either. That's right. Yeah. So you give them a, a device so that they stay nice and quiet, but then you've got the judgment because your child's on a device. But if your child wasn't on a device, they'd be climbing the walls and then you'd have judgment as well. Exactly. It's very, very. You, there, there is no win. Mother of a one-year-old said, I felt really embarrassed, so I sat in the restaurant and apologised the whole way through the meal. I couldn't, so I gave him my phone. Like, there's just that, yeah. I'm getting judged for giving them the phone, but I'm getting judged if I don't give them the phone. And a, a mum of a three-year-old said, I don't really let him use it in public, more so because I'm worried about people judging me, which sounds really awful. Say from my parents, they were like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> like, we never had phones when we were kids. So that was the third theme. And again, there's that 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 dissonance that comes up, that that challenge. What about number four? So this is a theme that came out of the interviews that I, I think is really 
curious, the idea of trying to manage and achieve a balance. And so we have parents saying things like, I know that they're going to use the device, but I'm trying to minimize it. I'm trying to get the balance right. One parent, a mum with three kids, 45 years old, talking about the four-year-old, me and my husband, we've got passcodes on our phone, so they can't access them without that. At the Unless moment. you've got an eight-year-old who literally oh, every yeah. single time we change them, she works it out. How does she do that? I don't know how she gets it. The big kids can't work it out, but within minutes – She's decoded. Yeah. This mum said at the moment the Wi-Fi is also disconnected, but we've just found that the kids find other ways to access the internet regardless. Uh, and, and I like this one as well. This was really clever. A mother of a three-year-old, 36 years old, said, I let it almost run out and I don't charge it. If her battery runs out because she's only had 20% and that's all I bothered to charge it, oh, sorry, darling, there's no more iPad, <laughs> which I think is, is, is great. So that was the fourth area where there's that dissonance where I don't want them to have it, but they kind of need to have it and how am I going to manage it? <laughs> and number five is, is this idea of external challenges. Yeah, so I, I think the easiest way to describe this is to, to share what the researchers said. They said parents discussed several perceived external barriers to appropriately providing a device and effectively managing healthy mobile screen habits. The most noteworthy barrier was simply the reality of life. So this is that thing where you've got the ideal and then you've got the reality. And that theme has permeated this whole conversation around kids and so the screens. ideal is if my child, especially my young child, is on a uh, on a device, that yeah. I actually would be there with them. But we often, or that they wouldn't be on one at all, because we want them to be living a whole and full and fulfilled life, and instead they're staring at a screen. But we will often put our children in front of a screen or give them a device so that we have the capacity to do the myriad of things that need to be done in to a have day. A shower in peace <laughs> without a child attached to our limb. Yeah, the researchers say for most parents, life was busy and messy, and similar to things such as their child's eating and sleeping routines, screen time was another part of parenting that did not go the way they thought that it would. I love this quote from a uh, mother of a two-year-old who says, "Before you have children, you go, oh no." I'm not going to let my children play on screens and have access to my phone. Then you get there. Holy crap. Giving him my phone for five minutes while I'm at the doctor's appointment so he's quiet, not screaming in my face is actually really handy. <laughs> Going through it has definitely changed my idea of what's okay and what's realistic. And, and so the study ultimately, what it's basically said, and, and I love the way they've done it. I love the conversations, the way they've brought the quotes from these qualitative interviews into the study. Basically finds that parents are experiencing this really big uh, dissonance, this really big tension between their attitudes and their behavior, primarily because they want to keep the kids away from devices as much as possible and give them this beautiful childhood. And the reality is that it's really hard to live life and the device gives us a way to make things manageable. It works. It's so much better in so many ways. I'm not going to, I mean, we've got podcasts and we've got web webinars and all kinds of resources about screens. If you really want to get my take on it, grab a copy of my book, 10 Things Every Parent Needs to Know, and have a look at the list that I've got in the screen time chapter about just saying to the kids, I know you want the screen, and if you've done all these things, you can do it. And there's a big list of all the things that kids need to do before they're on the screen. It's, it's a healthier approach, and it's also a bit more realistic. And let's recognize sometimes you do need to go to the bathroom or the doctor or to a restaurant in peace, and every now and again, the screen's going to be okay. So that's our first study. We spent a lot of time on it, but I think that it's really worth spending that time on it because so many parents struggle with the dissonance associated with screen time. 
Well, our second study looks at social media and how it's linked to body image issues that our children are having and and this urge for platforms to actually take some responsibility. This is a really important piece of writing and I'm just going to share a couple of paragraphs and then we'll move on to our third study because time will get the better of us. We've linked to all of the studies that I'm talking about in the show notes. So this is a new article published in the journal Body Image. A team of psychology researchers outline a mountain of evidence that links social media use to body image issues. And the researchers essentially describe how algorithms are probably, well, not probably, are intensifying the link between social media and body image challenges. And they're saying, as a social media corporation, you need to take action. So appearance-based social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok seem to be the most harmful to users' body image. On platforms like this, the teenagers, and not just teenagers, all of us, are exposed to, continually exposed to filtered and edited content that presents literally unrealistic body standards. And the evidence shows that this distorted environment increases users' risk of body dissatisfaction and harmful conditions like body dysmorphia and eating disorders. So I think that's probably enough to highlight. Um, Social media platforms are aware of this. We've had whistleblower cases come out of a couple of different places now, including Facebook, showing that they know this is happening, but they're not doing anything about it because they need to have attention. They need people to be listening or watching or viewing and, and giving their focus. So it's it's just horrible. The article is called The Dangers of the Rabbit Hole, Reflections on Social Media as a Portal into a Distorted World of Edited Bodies and eating disorder risk, and the role of algorithms. Study number three looks at the amount of screen time our children have and the link between that and language development in our young kids. Okay, so we started by talking about the the long study, talking about kids and their access to devices, little kids, preschoolers, toddlers. Then we went to body image, so we're talking about teenagers, but now we're going back to the beginning with little kids again. This is from uh, the University of Helsinki in Finland. And what the researchers found is, and I can summarise this just in a couple of sentences, they looked at the extent to which kids are using screen time alone, the extent to which their mum is on a screen, and the extent to which they're having combined joint screen time. And in a nutshell, the researchers found that the connections between children's and mother's screen time and children's language skills... The, the more the children use screen time alone or the greater the amount of the mother's screen time, the weaker the children's lexical and general language abilities were after taking into account the child's age, how well educated the mum was and even birth order. What they essentially found is that there's a cumulative negative association. Cumulative meaning there's a dose response. The more screen time there is, the stronger the effect is found to be. So there's a cumulative negative association between kids' lexical and general language abilities when their amount of screen time alone and the amount of the mother's screen time are simultaneously included in the statistical models. So the more you are on screens as a parent and the more your kids are on screens alone, the worse the outcomes are for their verbal fluency, for their capacity to to uh, develop language and communicate effectively. It seems so logical because what's happening is the screens are displacing that physical element of communication. Yes. 
yeah, the engagement, the interaction, the the looking into one another's eyes, watching each other's mouths. And Can- I remember, I remember there was a study, and I think we may have even shared it on the podcast around children's screen time, as in TV watching, and the impact that that has on their linguistic development. Right. And and at that point in time, it actually blew me away and blew others away because they're listening to people talk. Mm. They're actually they're it's actually filled with dialogue, but it's a passive. Right, and and it's so funny because yeah, I was going to say the high quality communication is active. Yes, yeah, that's that's a critical thing. So that's our doctor's desk for today. It's really all about screens. With a reminder, yes, they're they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere, and they're inescapable. And that's not always a bad thing, but we've really got to monitor the extent to which they're pulling us in and pulling our kids in because the research consistently highlights that there are issues with being on screens too much, whether the kids are little or whether they're big and whether we are on screens too much as well. It all has an impact. As we move towards the summer holidays, only a few weeks away now, there is a risk that the kids are going to be on their screens a whole lot. And to the extent that we can, we want to have healthy parameters around screen involvement. That's it for today's podcast episode. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you've enjoyed it and found it helpful and curiosity provoking. We love that you love the podcast. If you do love it as much as we hope, can you go to australianpodcastawards.com slash vote? Tell your friends to do it as well. Uh, It takes about 30 seconds. Just type in happy families and vote for us for the People's Choice Australian Podcast Award. We would be stoked, even if we got an honourable mention. So please, vote away. Vote, vote, vote. The Happy Families Podcast is produced by Justin Rowland from Bridge Media. Craig Bruce is our executive producer. For more info about making your family happier, please visit us at happyfamilies.com.au. Listener.